Good to see all of you here today. Uh, I want to just uh, thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person, outdoors, uh, under the tent, or uh, watching online. It's good to have you here. And we are very encouraged by the restrictions being loosened and the numbers going down. And I want you to know we're, we're hearing what's going on and we're moving very, very slowly. We're going to move very slowly in terms of masks, for instance. We're going to ask you to continue to wear your masks and, and we'll figure this out, but uh, we'll just take it, we're going to take it a little bit slower than perhaps everybody else. We want to make sure everyone is feeling uh, safe and comfortable as you uh, come back to church. Well, Many years ago in my fishing days, uh, I would drive up Highway 395 to Crawley Lake in the High Sierras to go fishing. And on one particular trip, I was accompanied by my wife, Cheryl, and um, her father, uh, my father-in-law, Howard. And uh, we went up there, and before, this was before the girls were born, so we went up there, the three of us, and it was not a very good trip. Uh, fishing was not good at all, and that's why they call it fishing and not catching. And um, after fishing at Crawley Lake uh, all day long at places like Alligator Point and Hilton Bay and Sandy Point, uh, without hardly catching any fish, I, I said to, to them, let's, let's go to Beaver Cove. Let's try Beaver Cove one last time and see if we can get some fish. And so it was about 20 minutes away on the other side, and so we were in a little motorboat, and we went over there and we got to Sandy or to Beaver Cove and just as we pulled in the cove, it's a really large cove, kind of like this right here, this, this room, pretty large cove and when we pulled in there, we turned on the fish finder right away and almost immediately we got some marks at about 25 feet. So we got indication that there were some fish at about 25 feet, about 75 to 100 feet off shore. And so we thought that was good so we pulled the boat around and we set the anchor. Now Beaver Cove is one of those places where you can actually access by driving to it. And it's a dirt road, but you, gotta, you can drive there. And so just as we anchored the boat, a couple of cars came rolling up into Beaver Cove and they parked their car on the shore, almost right directly in front of us. And uh, as soon as um, one of the guys got out, he began to jaw at us and, and, and to kind of complain that we were in his spot. Now, mind you, we're on the lake in a boat about 75 to 100 feet away from him, and he's complaining about how we were in his spot. And he kept going on, and we just kind of ignored him. And, and then he started shouting, and then he started screaming, and he started saying some very bad words. And it was horrible. And we were just shocked. We were just like dumbfounded, like, what is wrong with this guy? And then finally, in one last desperate attempt to make his point, he picked up a rock and he threw it at us. And of course, it fell way short of where we were at, and we were fine. But again, we were just shocked at this kind of behavior. And if I wasn't a pastor, because I was a, you know, I'd started a church. If I wasn't a pastor even back then, I would have, and my wife and my, my father-in-law weren't with me, I probably would have stood up in the boat and said, ah, ha, ha, you missed, you missed, you're a lousy shot. You know, I probably would have done something like that. But uh, I mean, he threw a rock at us. For what? for some fish, for some dumb trout. Now, I can picture someone throwing rocks at me, but I can't picture someone throwing rocks at my sweet wife or my mellow, chill father-in-law who's from Maui. No way. And the whole experience just sickened me. You know, I think we can make the case that in this last year, 
We've seen more rocks thrown, more hatred, more vitriol, more rage in our lifetime in this last year than we have at any other time. It has been amazing. Even today, as I speak, Israel is under attack from Islamic militants in the Gaza Strip, which is a territory in southern Israel controlled by the Palestinians. Uh, as of yesterday morning, they had fired more than 2,300 rockets at Israel from the Gaza Strip. More than 2,300 rockets. Some of them have hit their target. At, at, and it was aimed at places like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, where we were at just two years ago. Well, on Thursday of this week, Dr. Erez Soref, uh, who is the president of a, of a great ministry in Israel called One for Israel, uh, they, uh, he posted a brief uh, description of what was going on. And I wanted to play it for you because I thought it was just very, very riveting. So take a look at the screen. Shalom, friends. As you have probably seen on the news, Israel is at war again, and we need your prayers now more than ever. Sirens were heard throughout Israel, including Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. We haven't had rockets reach that far since 2014. Our staff resides in those areas, and we spent our evening with our families in bomb shelters as the explosions rang overhead. In total, over 1,000 missiles were fired in the last 24 hours. Thankfully, the Iron Dome was able to intercept the majority, but several rockets made it through our defenses and made direct hits on buildings, buses, and cars, injuring many and killing five last night alone. Not only are we facing rocket barrages from the south, but all across the country, there are riots of Muslims in the streets. The riots last night in Lod, just south of Tel Aviv, have been referred to as Kristallnacht and civil war, as synagogues, cars, and businesses were burned and Muslim mobs roamed the streets with Molotov cocktails and rocks. Israel's police minister called the situation unprecedented. On the final days of Ramadan, Hamas used the failed Palestinian election and property disputes in East Jerusalem to spur rocket fire and riots that led to the conflict we're in. But as the news reporters seek to unwrap the causes and solutions to this conflict, we know that the core of this hatred and war is much deeper than the current events today. This hatred and animosity centers around a spiritual conflict as old as time, and the only true lasting peace can come through the Prince of Peace, Yeshua, our Messiah. We know that God's desire is to turn the hearts from hatred to love through our Messiah, Yeshua. This current conflict has hit very close to home, as one of our faculty members, who lives in Ashkelon, just south of Tel Aviv, suffered a direct hit of a rocket into his building. The rocket hit two floors below, killing his neighbor and seriously injuring several people in his complex. His apartment is destroyed, glass is everywhere and his building compromised. But as we reached out to him and his family to provide assistance and a place to stay, he insisted to remain with his neighbors in this time of trouble. Here's his own words. 
The worst thing is that people do not know God. Now is a good opportunity for me to remind my neighbors that He is. His peaceful and passionate heart for the gospel is an inspiration for us all. We remain standing together in prayer, both our Jewish and Arab staff members and students, and we invite you to join us in prayer for our people, both Arab and Jews, that God would reach those full of fear and hatred. Amen. Just amazing what's going on there. Um, Lila Johnson reminded me this morning that it was about five years ago that she went to Israel and uh, worked on a ministry to help repair and renovate some of the bomb shelters. And to think that uh, because of all the missiles that, that are being fired at Israel, that they're having to, to live and stay in those bomb shelters until the threat passes. And uh, Carlton Fukumoto as well went there a couple years ago to work on the bomb shelters. And uh, well, I just love the Jewish people so very, very much. You know, it, it, not only is Israel, has Israel been suffering under a lockdown as we have, um, they are now under siege. And uh, as Christ followers, regardless of what you think of the political situation, as Christ followers, it is our obligation to stand with Israel and to support Israel. Uh, Genesis 12, 3 says that God will bless those who bless Israel and he will curse those who curse Israel. So we must be on the side of those who bless Israel. Furthermore, David wrote in Psalm 122, 6 that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So it's important that I want to encourage all of you to remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Scripture tells us to do that, all right? So let's, let's begin our service by doing that very thing. Let's pray for the peace of of Jerusalem and that the violence and the the bloodshed will stop well father thank you so much for bringing us together this morning there is in my opinion there is no place like church and God thank you for your people gathering here together uh, here in this place uh, outside and even online and father this morning in our hearts go out to the Jewish people as they are uh, currently under bombardment, and um, so many bad things are happening there, and we pray, God, for your protection over your people. Lord, I've just come to love the Jewish people, and uh, because they're your people. They're your chosen people, and it is so heartening to see how many of them have come to know the true Messiah, Yeshua, and we pray, Father, that even during this crisis, many Jews and many Muslims will, will turn their hearts to you and follow you, Jesus. And we pray, Father, for your protection over Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem. Father, we pray that this week there might be a ceasefire and the violence will stop and the missiles will stop and uh, all the bloodshed will, will cease so that Jerusalem can live in peace. And we know that ultimately this is going to continue until, until you come again. But, Father, we pray just for a cessation of the hostilities and for peace for Jerusalem. Well, Father, thank you so much for gathering us together today. And uh, Father, I really believe that you have something important to say to us, and I pray, God, that I would simply be the mouthpiece by which you say what it is that you want to say to us. So speak to us now, and I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for more than a month now, we've been in a series here called What the World Needs Now. And if you've been with us, you know that what the world needs now is love. And you look at Israel, and you'll know that the world needs now. What Israel needs now is love. And uh, today, I want to wrap up this series by telling you about the most important, the, um, the most important 
human relationship principle that is found in the Bible. This is the most hum important human relationship principle found in the Bible. Now, if everyone lived by this principle, it would change the world. If we began to live by this principle, families would change, neighborhoods would change, states would change, countries would be transformed literally overnight. So I want you to grab your Bible, get your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. Uh, if you haven't already, you can also open up our South Bay Community Church app. If you don't have it, you can download it now. We have free Wi-Fi here at the church. You can get it from the Apple Store or Google Play, and it'll, you'll find it helpful, and all the verses are listed for you there as well. More than 200 years ago, there were, there were these two brothers named Jacob and Wilhelm uh, Grimm, and they put together, published a collection of stories that they had written, and it came to be known as Grimm's Fairy Tales. And I want to read one of these fairy tales to you right now. It went like this. In a time long ago in a faraway place, a frail old man went to live with his son, daughter-in-law, and four-year-old grandson. The old man's hands trembled and his eyesight was blurred and his step faltered. The family ate together at the table, but the elderly grandfather's shaky hands and failing sight made eating difficult. Food fell off his spoon onto the table. When he grasped the glass, milk spilled. The old man's son and daughter-in-law became irritated with a mess. We must do something about grandfather, said his son. I've had enough of his spilled milk, noisy eating, and food on the floor. The husband and wife set a small table in the corner, and their grandfather ate alone while the rest of the family enjoyed dinner. Since grandfather had broken a dish or two, his food was served in a wooden bowl. When the family glanced in, a, in, a grand, in grandfather's direction, sometimes he had a tear in his eye as he sat alone. Still, the only words the couple had for him were sharp admonitions when he dropped a fork or spilled food. The four-year-old watched all, it all in silence. One evening before supper, the father noticed his son playing with wood scraps on the floor. He asked the child sweetly, what are you making? Just as sweetly, the boy responded, oh, I am making a little wooden bowl for you and mama to eat your food in when I grow up. The four-year-old smiled and went back to work. The words so struck the parents that they were speechless, and then tears started to stream down their cheeks. Though no word was spoken, both knew what must be done. That evening, the man took father's hand and gently led him back to the family table. And for the remainder of his days, he ate, his, he ate every meal with the family. And for some reason, neither the son nor daughter-in-law seemed to care any longer when a fork was dropped, milk spilled, or the tablecloth spoiled. Isn't that a great story? The parents saw what would happen to them. Their own son would set them off by themselves and they would have to eat by themselves out of a wooden bowl. This is a potent illustration of the greatest human principle found in the Bible, and that is the golden rule. The golden rule given to us by Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago. It's found in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And I'll read it for you in just a second. It's also found in Matthew 7, verse 12, but for our purposes, we're only going to look at Luke 6, 31. 
Now, you might be interested to know that the golden rule, the words golden rule, do not appear anywhere in the scriptures. It does not appear in the Bible. The term golden rule was added by Bible translators sometime during the 16th and 17th centuries as a heading. It was put there in the scriptures as a heading to break up the chapter to make the chapter a little easier to read. And since it's a heading, it doesn't appear in every translation. It doesn't appear in every verse. For example, you won't find it here in the ESV. The ESV English Standard Version is the one that we use primarily around here. But you won't find it here in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Here's how Luke 6, 31 uh, appears in my Bible. Uh, you'll, you'll see it there. I've underlined the verse, but you don't see the heading. The heading that appears here is love your enemies. But if you turn to Matthew 7, 12 in the ESV, it's there in Matthew 7, 12. Here I've highlighted the heading, the golden rule. And then I've... Then the verse is underlined right below it, right? Now, before I tell you what the golden rule is, let me tell you what the golden rule is not, right? The golden rule is not he who has the gold makes the rules. That's not the golden rule. Some people like to think it's the golden rule, but it's not. The golden rule goes like this, Luke 6, 31. Jesus said, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. In this single sentence, Jesus brilliantly laid out the greatest human relationship principle that's found in the Bible. He laid out how we can experience successful relationships. Treat others as you wish to be treated yourself. This is the golden rule. Treat others as you wish to be treated yourself. Now, the concept of the golden rule is, is not new. It's been around for a long, long time. Greek philosopher Socrates, who lived around 400 years before Christ, uh, said something similar. He said this. He said, do not do to others that which angers you when they do it to you. And then a famous Jewish rabbi named Hillel, who was born about 100 years before Christ, he said this. He said, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. All right, and then even Confucius got in the act. He said something similar. He said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Now, do you know what these three phrases have in common? What do they have in common? They have in common those three words, do not do. Notice that. I've highlighted it. Do not do. Do not do to others which, that which angers you. Do not do to someone else what is hateful to yourself. Do not do to others what you do not want done to yourself. Now compare these three statements to what Jesus said in the golden rule. Take a look at it again. Luke six thirty one. He said, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You see the difference? As Socrates, Hillel, and Confucius said, do not do. Jesus said, do. See the difference? The others stated it in a negative form, and no action was required. But the golden rule stands out because it was stated positively in a positive form, and it requires action. You must do. We must take action. We must do something. We must take the initiative. And what are we to do? Jesus said, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you've got your Bible open, circle the word wish. As you wish that others would do to you. Notice, Jesus didn't say treat others as they treat you. 
Treat others as they treat you. In other words, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. If you give me a present, I'll give you a present. If you treat me with respect, I'll treat you with, with respect. Conversely, if you throw a rock at me, I'll throw a rock at you. If you say something bad about me on Facebook, I'll say something bad about you on Facebook. You know what we call that when we get even and get back at each other? We call that when, we, when someone doesn't treat us like we want them to be treated, what we call that is what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? What goes around comes around. Turnabout is fair play. Or we call it straight out revenge, right? And that's the way of the world. That's the, world, that's the way the world's like. But that was not Jesus' way. Jesus said, as you wish that others would do to you, you do so to others. How you wish that someone would treat you, that's how you treat others. How you wish that your wife or your husband would speak to you, that's how you should speak to your husband or wife. So it begs the question, how do you wish to be treated? How do you wish to be treated? Now, I don't know if you know uh, or familiar with the name John Hawkins. John Hawkins, I don't know if it means anything to you, but in 1562, John Hawkins sailed from England to Guinea on the west coast of Africa. And after his ship landed in Guinea, he had a bunch of men with him. They went on shore into the country of Guinea and they kidnapped 400 Africans. They took them on board, tied them up, took them on board their, their ship and took them away and sold them to be slaves. This one act is what opened the floodgates of slavery. By the late 1700s, 50,000 African men, women, and children were being kidnapped from their homes and sold into slavery every year, 50,000 a year. By the time it was all said and done, historians estimate that more than 10 million Africans had been ripped away from their homes and sold into, someone's, and sold into slavery, sold to someone else. One man who spoke out against this evil was Abraham Booth, who was a Baptist minister in London. On January 29, 1792, that was almost 229 years ago, he preached a sermon at the Prescott Street Baptist Church in London in which he railed against slavery. And the basis of his sermon was the golden rule. Here's just an excerpt of what he said. He said, quote, For who among all the traders in men, the slave traders and holders of slave, would think himself treated with equity were he after having been kidnapped by a villain to find his bones and sinews, his bowels and blood, exposed to sale and actually purchased by one of those whose profession it was to trade in persons of men. Nay, would not his indignation and anguish be greatly heightened if possible were his affectionate wife and his dutiful children in the same situation just going to be separated and never more to be seen, uh, never more to see one another? In other words, what he said was, how would you feel if you were kidnapped and sold into slavery? How would you feel if your wife and your children were kidnapped and sold into slavery? How would you feel if the tables were turned and the shoe was on the other foot and you became a slave? How would you feel? I mean, it was a powerful sermon on the golden rule. Here's the good news. Not long after he preached this sermon, the tide against slavery began to turn, not just because of this sermon, but because of what many people were doing to oppose slavery. 
And it didn't go away overnight. It took many, many more years, but eventually the British Parliament abolished uh, slavery for good. Do you know what would happen? Do you know what would happen if everyone, and I mean everyone, lived according to the golden rule? Do you know, do you know what would happen? I mean, it would change everything. Families would, wouldn't be the same. Communities wouldn't be the same. Our nation wouldn't be the same. And that's why I believe this is the greatest human relationship principle that's found in the Bible. And one of the ways that we can live out the golden rule is by being kind to one another. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians 4, 32, Paul wrote, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All right, be kind to one another. Now, this word kind, this is not the same word as, as many of the guys in our church from Hawaii use. That is the kind. The kind. I mean, the kind, I don't know if you're familiar with the kind, but the kind is a very interesting word. The kind. The kind can mean anything you want it to mean. Uh, it could be a person, a place, or a thing. It could be a verb. It could be a noun. It could be an adjective. The kind. If you are saying something or speaking words to somebody and you forget a word, you can just insert the word the kind and use the kind. If, if you need a reason to say uh, something, you can just use the kind. You can use it anytime for, for whatever reason you want. Hey, this is the kind church. This is the kind workers. This is the kind volunteers. This is the kind speaker, right? Uh, can you imagine, can you imagine um, if some of the greatest lines in movie history were changed in the word the kind was added to some of those great iconic uh, quotes like from the movie Sixth Sense. Do you remember the movie The Sixth Sense when little Joel Osment? Some of you kind of, you know, like, oh, it's never heard of it, right? Because you're so young. Um, but in this movie, Joel Osment, remember what he said? He said, hey, I see the kind of dead people. <laughs> remember that? I see the kind of dead people. Remember the movie Forrest Gump when Forrest said, Hey, my mama always say life was like the kind chocolate. You never know the kind you're going to get. Or how about this classic, The Wizard of Oz and Dorothy. Can you imagine Dorothy saying, there's no place like the kind home. There's no place like the kind home. There's no place like the kind home. Or how about Tony Stark? Imagine if he said, I'm the kind Iron Man. I'm the kind Iron Man. Or my all-time favorite. How, who, who could not? I, I can't go without having a Star Wars quote, right? Star Wars. Hey. May the kind force be with you. May the kind force be with you, right? I mean, the word in Ephesians 4.32 is not the kind. It's kind. Be kind to one another, K-I-N-D. According to the dictionary, the definition of kind is, quote, generous, warm, or compassionate nature, to have a generous, warm, or compassionate nature. But in the Bible, it's more than that. It's more than just having a generous, warm, compassionate nature. It's more than a feeling. It's more than a sweet disposition. In the Bible, the word kind is the Greek word krestos. And it means, quote, to be good through usefulness. Get that? It means to be good through usefulness. In other words, krestos is more than just what you are on the inside or what you're feeling on the inside. Krestos is what you also do on the outside. It is to be good through usefulness. It is what you do on the outside. It's more than a feeling. It's, it's an action. It's something you do. You know, when I think of kindness, I can't help but recall the time last year when so many of you during the pandemic donated bags and bags and bags of groceries so we can give them out to those who were struggling. 
just to make ends meet because of um, unemployment situation. Hundreds of you turned out and gave us bags of groceries, and so what, we, what did we do? We turned around and gave it away. We stood on the street corner with a sign that said free groceries, and people, all kinds of people just stopped and pulled over, and we, we just gave away gross, free groceries to everybody. That's kindness. I can't help but think of the time when one of our friends Coast, at Coast Produce, Mark Morimoto, donated hundreds of dollars worth of produce to us. I mean, these were all number one, you know, I mean, produce items, I mean, just quality stuff, the best potatoes and the best oranges, and, and we packed it all up and we just gave it away to whoever wanted them. And then Stanley Yang, I'll never think about, forget about Stanley Yang. Stanley was here at the first service this morning. He and his company decided we're, we want to do something kind to our community, so they went out and hired a chef, and they had the chef made hundreds of meals, hot, warm meals. And then he said, Pastor Gary, it would be okay if we come to your church and just stand out in front of the church and just give meals away to whoever wants them. And we had people driving by just to, just to get a hot, warm meal. When I think of kindness, I'll never forget when Annie and Brian Mason and Lisa Mikami and Jennifer and Orion Chan and Marie and Brittany Herrera and Gary Fukumoto and Albert Martinez and Matt Nestor and Nate Smith and Jay Arbolario and Vicki Kale, Lisa Lamb and Robbie, who's right here, and Teresa Brown and Patricia Kobayashi, they all went out. This is them. They went, all went out to a homeless encampment right over here off of Vermont. I think it was Thanksgiving, and they also went out at Christmas. Just gave away. They gave away toiletries and shoes, 150 pairs of shoes, warm jackets and food. And those were all things you contributed, and they went out there and distributed it during a time of, the, of a pandemic when everyone was supposed to stay home. When I think of kindness, I think of Kim Carlin, who took boxes and boxes of KFC to the Torrance Fire, Fire Department. And then our own staff took desserts and treats to police officers at the Torrance Police Department, the Redondo Beach Police Department, and, and the LAPD. When I think of kindness, I can't help but think of the scores of people in our church who gave over and above in their financial gifts, over and above their regular offering, and he said, hey, just, just use this to help people who are in need during the pandemic. And you enabled us to help people who, who, who asked us for help. And uh, not only that, we were able to, a, a bunch of you, Robbie's group, uh, put, put a collection together to buy, uh, just to, to buy groceries and, and, and help people in the Philippines because they were really hit bad. And we got this photo of a family, a couple in the Philippines they didn't even have any food to eat. We heard, we heard about that so often. They didn't even have food to eat. And because of your kindness, we were able to help them out. And then I'll never forget when a bunch of you took up a collection to help Bridget Bradley, a single mom with three children. One of her, one of her sons, Nehemiah, has been you know, battling an illness. And she got to a point because her car wasn't working. She couldn't even get, she couldn't even get him to the doctor's. And, and a bunch of you said, hey, that's not good. That's, not, that's no good. And you figured out that it was cheaper to buy her a new car than to fix the one that she had. And so you took up a collection and you bought her this car. I mean, that's, that's our church. That's the heart of our church. And that's what kindness is. And, and that's what the golden rule looks like. And there's so many other examples of that. I've experienced kindness just this weekend from people in our church. And, and, and that's one way we can live out the golden rule, just by being kind. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever heard of the Irish blessing? The Irish blessing goes like this, and I, I don't have an Irish accent, so I'm not going to read it to you in Irish accent. I probably have more of a pigeon accent. I'm not going to read it to you in pigeon, but it goes like this. May those that love us, love us. And those that don't love us, 
May God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we will know them by their limping. Isn't that great? Boy, the Irish have a way, don't they? You know what this tells me? We all walk with a limp, don't we? Because we all have a hard time loving. We all have a hard time loving. May they, may they know them by their limp. May God turn their, their ankles because they don't love us. You know, I believe one of the biggest reasons why it's so hard for us to love is because we are all innately selfish. We all are born with an entitlement mentality. Every one of us, we're born with an entitlement mentality. It's etched into our DNA. And uh, here's what the Apostle Paul said about how we are to relate to one another in the face of the fact that we are so selfish. He said this, Philippians 2, verse 3. He said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let me read that to you one more time. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let that sink in. This is insane. This is crazy. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfishness. Count others as more significant than yourself. If the golden rule is the, is the greatest human relationship principle, then this one has to be the hardest relationship principle found in the Bible because it goes, it is counterintuitive. It goes against everything that we are, that we know. We are, goes against our natural born instincts that everything is about ourselves, about me, myself, and I. It is about my desires, about my wants. It is about me first. And it goes against all of that. And if you take a look at the verse again, notice the word count. See the word count? If you, if you have your Bibles open, circle the word count in your Bible. The word count in the original language in which this was written means to esteem. It means to esteem. Now stay with me because this is so fascinating. According to a New Testament scholar named Marvin Vincent, the word implies, the word count or esteem implies a conscious, he, let me quote him, quote, a conscious judgment based on a careful determination of the facts. It, is, it implies a conscious judgment based on a careful determination of the facts. In other words, the reason you would esteem someone, the reason that you would count someone as more significant than yourselves is because you have determined after weighing all of the facts about that person, that they indeed are more significant than you. That's what the word means. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have done that. I have done that. I have evaluated, and we do this all the time, right? I've evaluated the people around me. I've judged the people around me, and I have come to the conclusion that most of the people around me are not worthy of esteem. Uh, in fact, some people around me are pretty messed up. In fact, some people around me are pretty rotten. They're rotten to the core. In fact, I've been married to my spouse for 30 years, and I know everything about them. I know all their dirt. I know all their dirty little secrets, and I can tell you that my spouse is not worthy of esteem because I know them. Uh, there's no way I'm going to esteem my coworker who is a backstabber and a gossip. There's no way that I can esteem the guy, this is me personally speaking, the guy who almost ran me off the road on the corner of Normandy and 190th Street. That really happened. 
And if I gathered and weighed all of the facts about that person, I couldn't esteem him highly just by, the, just by the way he drives. Yet Paul said, we need to be of the opinion that the other person is more significant than ourselves. And here's the key. Here's why. Because it isn't based on our evaluation and our determination. It is based on God's evaluation and God's determination of the other person. See the difference? Do you know what God's evaluation and determination of people are, of the people around you are? You know what it is? According to scriptures, he made every single person in his image. All right? So think of some bad person in your life. He made them in his or her image. And, and everyone, God's evaluation and determination, he made everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made. Everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made. See, it is on the basis of God's determination and God's evaluation that people should be esteemed. It's not based on our evaluation and our determination. If it was based on our evaluation and determination, we probably wouldn't esteem anyone except ourselves. Now, here's the part that blows me away about this. The part that blows me away about this is that God esteems me. He knows how rotten and filthy and dirty I am. Yet he esteems me. And he esteems you. He esteems you. That's, that's, that's the part that really gets me. It's crazy. God esteems you because you're his child. You are made in his image. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you imagine what would happen if we all started relating to each other in this way, that the other person is more important than me, that your spouse is more important than you, that your neighbor is more important than you, that that clerk at, at Target is more important than you, than that attendant who hands you a coffee at Starbucks, the barista is more important than you, then your, your co-worker is more important than you, then your classmate is more important than you, that that outspoken trumper in your office is more important than you, that, that Outspoken progressive in your office is more important than you. Can you imagine what would happen if we started relating to each other in this way? It'd be a game changer. It would be a game changer. And let me throw this one out for those of you who are in a relationship. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've got a significant other. Maybe you're a young adult in our church and you hope that one day you, you hope to be married. I've got something for you. I believe the key to having a truly successful and happy marriage is total selflessness. The key to having a totally successful and happy marriage is complete selflessness, unselfishness. If you go into marriage, marriage, young, young adults, for example, if you go into marriage thinking it's all about your needs and your spouse is going to fulfill your needs and your spouse is going to make you happy and it's all about you and they're going to fulfill all your wants and desires, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Ladies, marriage isn't about you. It isn't about your honey-do list. It isn't about what your husband is going to do to fulfill you and to make you happy. And guys, marriage isn't about you either. It isn't about how your wife is going to iron all your clothes and cook all your meals and you know, bow down at your every request and wait on you hands and feet. It is not about you. 
Marriage is not about you. Marriage is about two people who love the other person more than they love themselves. And if a husband loves his wife more than he loves himself and a wife loves her husband more than she loves herself, you know what's going to happen with that marriage? It is going to flourish. And in fact, if every couple did this, marriages would flourish and divorce would become extinct. In fact, if we did that in every relationship, if we treated like each other like that in every relationship, every relationship that we're in would thrive. And all this hate that we see in our country today would go away. And here's the bad news. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not going to happen. I mean, you might leave here today thinking, wow, that was a great message. I am fired up. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to live the golden rule. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be selfless and I'm going to be unselfish. I'm going to do all that. I am going to do this. I'm going to give it a shot. It's not going to happen. I can tell you it's not going to happen. You know, trying to love each other like this, (laughs) you're wondering, like, why are you telling us this then, Right? Why did he even come to church? Well, kind of reminds me of the old Beatles tune. Uh, we can work it out, right? You guys might remember it because you're all like me, right? Wyatt and Julie. We can work it out. The Beatles tune. The Beatles, now some of you are thinking the Beatles, like, Beatles, aren't they bugs, right? Or it's a car, right? Well, for those of you who are really old, you know that the Beatles was a, was a singing group, right? A band, a rock band. Um, but they, they, they sang this song years ago called We Can Work It Out. And um, if you know the song, you can sing it with me. You sing it, don't sing it. Don't. And, and I won't, I'll do you a favor, and I won't sing it for you. But I want to read just some, a few of the lyrics for you, just the first verse and, and the bridge. And it goes like this, try to see it my way. Remember that? <laughs> you remember that? Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking until I can't go on? Well, you see it your way. We're in the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Remember that? And here's the bridge. Life is very short, and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. I have always thought that it's a crime, so I will ask you once again. Try to see it my way. Only time will tell if I am right or I am wrong. While you see it your way, there's a chance that we may fall apart before too long. We can work it out. We can work it out. That's the song. There's no time for fussing and fighting. That's true. There's no time for fussing and fighting. But that's all we do. That's all the world does, fussing and fighting. And everything's a mess. And what the world needs now is love. And how do we go about trying to fix things? How do the Beatles say we should go about trying to fix things? We can work it out. We can work it out. Couples, you can work it out. Congress trying to work it out. The races are trying to work it out. But you know what? They can't. And things are only getting worse. And we can't. And, it's, and we're failing at it. Do you know why? Because you can't do it on your own power. That's why. You can't do it on your own power. We can't live out the golden rule and be kind to one another and be completely selfless on our own. We need help. We need divine help. We need God's help. We need God's power to love one another. It's the only one the God of the universe fills us with the power of His Holy Spirit. 
which is given to us when we place our faith in his son Jesus, can we love one another the way that God intended for us to love one another? See, the bad news is we can't work it out on our own. But the good news is God has given us the power to work it out. God has given us the power so we can love. That's the good news. You know, let me close with this. In, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote out this magnificent prayer, chapter 1. And I want to read a portion of it to you. Here's, here was his prayer to the church at Ephesus. He said, quote, I do not cease to give thanks for you, starting verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is a prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, here's the key right there, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the state, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul prayed that you may know what is the immeasurable, last verse 19, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. This is so good. Paul prayed that the church would know that God had given them power, that they would know that, he had, that we have his immeasurable power to love one another. He prayed that because obviously they didn't get it. Obviously they didn't know it. So he prayed, oh, I pray you'd understand that. That was Paul's prayer. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for, for me, and it's my prayer for you, that you would know that God has given you his immeasurable power to love the most difficult people in your life, that he has given you his immeasurable power to live out the golden rule, to, to treat others as you wish to be treated, that you would know that you have the power to be kind, that you have the power to be completely selfless in every relationship that you're in. See, the bottom line is we can't work it out. We need God to help us. So don't work it out. Work God in. Work God into your life and work God into your heart. Let him fill you so much that when someone throws a rock at you because you took his fishing spot, you'll be able to treat him as you wish to be treated. Amen? Well, let's close our time in a word of prayer. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to lead you in a prayer. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity right now. This is your time. Why don't you say to God whatever it is that you want to say to Him? Maybe you've been having a hard time loving some people around you. Will you just ask God to forgive you? Ask God to fill you with His power. He's given it to you already. Ask Him to fill you with power so that it's Him loving the other person through you. Ask Him to give you the power to treat others as you wish to be treated. Ask Him to give you the power to be kind. Ask Him the power to be completely selfless. You might have to go to your spouse today. Maybe you need to go to your significant other today. Maybe you need to talk to your children or your parents and say, will you forgive me because I've been so selfish.
Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the power of God because you've never experienced the love of God. We get the power of God only when we acknowledge that Jesus was God's son and that he died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. If you've never done that, why don't you do that right now, right where you're at? Just say, God, I acknowledge that Jesus was your son and he came to earth to die on a cross for my sins and you raised him from the dead. That's the power that, that I can have and right now I confess that I need you. I confess that I'm selfish. I confess that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart. Make me the man or woman, the boy or the girl that you want me to be. Pray those things. Oh, Father, thank you so much for these powerful words on how we are to treat one another. The greatest human relationship principle in the Bible paired with the most difficult relationship principle in the Bible. But we can do this because you have given us the power through your Holy Spirit to do that. So help us, God, not to work it out, but to work you in, include you in everything. We pray you would help us, God. Lord, do a work in South Bay Community Church, wherever we're at, even for those who are watching online, do a work in us. That when the world looks at us, when our neighbors look at us, when our coworkers look at us, our classmates look at us, when our families look at us, they'll just go, wow. What is it about you? You are so loving to work in us that we'd be those kinds of people. Thank you, Father, so much. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.